Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Table Church Podcast. Um, I wish you could see us. I imagine there will be a picture posted. Yeah. Do, do you think there will be a picture posted, Megan? I think if we were going to give it a title, this would be like the Table Church Podcast Prison Visit <laughs> Edition. <laughs> That's a that's a really good name for it. I am I'm on COVID quarantine. Um, my well, somebody in my family tested positive for COVID. I'm still awaiting my test results. I did get a negative rapid test, but apparently those aren't very accurate. So I went back for the the highly accurate PCR test, which takes like 48 hours. And I'm like, well, what good does that do me? But here I am. And um, you know, although they do say even if I think you're still supposed to quarantine. If somebody in your home, if you've had contact, Mm -hmm. even if you have a negative test, I don't know. I'm trying to be careful. I'm quarantining. And so Megan and I are separated by a glass pane and a door. (laughs) And there's, there's mic cords running between us through the door. And I mean, for anyone who thinks that that sounds a little extreme, um, why didn't you just use zoom? We tried that. And then our (laughs) internet just completely died at the office Yeah, so as we began. The, the plan was that I would stay in my office, you would stay in your office. If I left my office, I would wear a mask <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. We had it down and yet internet died. Mm-hmm. So, so much for that plan. <laughs> but we improvised. We're looking at each other through a window. Yep. And um, hopefully you can hear me. I've got the headphones I feel like in. we should be talking on like phones yeah and you should look all rough and you gotta get me out of in here in this in this scenario you are the one in prison that's yeah. how i had been seeing you're it, my lawyer maybe you're seeing it the other way you're my lawyer yeah you gotta get me out of here <laughs> <laughs> oh anyway <laughs> um hey it's the one year anniversary of the january 6th attack on the capitol Mm-hmm. And um, it's also the start of Epiphany. So it which is. way are we going to go? <laughs> 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 Let's talk about the attack on the ca- Capitol, shall we? Uh, no, I just wanted to say, it, it, who who would have imagined back then that that would have ever happened? And I then know. who would have imagined that today we still have such confusion in our country about things? And you've got John, Donald Trump Jr. like literally <laughs> discouraging Christians from following the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Because it doesn't get you anywhere. Did you see that? Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, turning I agree. the other cheek doesn't hasn't gotten us anywhere. Yeah. It says. <laughs> um, I mean, it depends on where you want to get. But yeah, that's true. That's true. That's uh, that's. That's the entire question is exactly what are we trying, what are we going after here? Um, Are we seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness or a different kingdom? That's the million dollar question. Uh Uh-huh. So. I remember, do you remember where you were when you realized all that stuff was going down? Um, I don't remember where I was on January 6th. No. Um, I remember watching the news earlier in the day because there was all that jazz about Mike Pence and what he was going to do and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of died down. And then I went and did other things, like had meetings with people. I remember I was like busy all during the middle of the day. And suddenly I realized that my phone was blowing up. Mm-hmm. So I turned on like MSNBC Live and I sat in front of my TV at home like with my mouth open like, what? Yeah. Like I went away from the internet for maybe three hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then all of this stuff is happening. 
That was I remember, crazy. Like reflecting back on it now, I didn't. I had no idea the gravity of what was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. Like I remember joking about it and stuff in the moment. <laughs> like, like what is crazy? Crazy, you know? Um, it was not funny. Like the people died. Like uh-huh. police officers died. It was hard in the moment to really picture how big of an issue it was. Mm-hmm. And it was hard to imagine people were actually inside the building. I remember it took me a long time before I really realized that. And then once I did, now mm-hmm. as we look back on it, to know how much planning went into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It didn't take long to realize, oh, man, this is for real. This isn't just a bunch of people that are, this isn't just like crowds getting kind of crazy. Like, no. Something's going down. It's not like a football game yeah. that went the wrong direction. So like I was listening to um, the dispatch this morning. Oh, mm-hmm. oh yes. we've. <laughs> hey, the cool thing about our setup is now we have a bell. And if you listen to the Holy Post podcast, yes, we're totally ripping them off. Yeah, I'm sitting by our office bell. So it's real Product placement. But... um. So I was listening to the dispatch this morning and they were kind of reviewing the events and things like that. And it all came flooding back like, wow, it feels like that was a really long time ago and it was only a year ago. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's just become increasingly clear and this is disheartening, but also perhaps, um, perhaps a good thing for the American church. Um, our political ideologies and idolatries become increasingly clear in the last few years. And, uh, you know, I'm not much of a, I don't know what the word would be, doom and gloom kind of person. Um, but if this is God's judgment, like judgment often comes as like a revealing of motives, you mm-hmm. know, like you just kind of end up being revealed naked before everybody for what you really are. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, it's not like God is like, I'm going to make this happen. It's that right. people are doing what they want to be doing, and we have a moment of clarity to see, oh, mm-hmm. this is what we get. Romans 1, is that's exactly how it describes it. It says, God turned them over to the desires of their heart. Essentially, God's saying, okay, have it your way, mm-hmm. you know. And I can't help but wonder if, in a sense, this is we're, we're in a time of God's judgment on the church as God says, oh, you, you've wanted that kind of power, not the power of, that comes from another place, like Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. You want that other kind of power. Okay, go ahead and chase it. See what happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know. but Yeah. Like you want to eat three pieces of cake before bed? Go for it. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> called the wrath of God. Yeah. <laughs> yep. With a feeling you get afterwards. It's called <laughs> God's wrath. Anyway. To end on a, are we ending that now? We can keep going. It's up to you. <laughs> What else do you want to talk about about January 6th? Wrap it up. (laughs) I want to get to our book, so. (laughs) I mean, to end on a hopeful note, if uh, I I think there's been, over the last couple of years, and especially since January 6th, you know, there's all this extra talk, and it's easy to feel cynical about everything in the American church right now. You know, like every bit of it feels touched by something gross lately. Like Mm -hmm. leaders you really respect going through, you know, these like investigations and stuff like that. I mean, it just feels like whatever innocence you might have thought you had, like it almost feels like nothing's really safe anymore. But that's not true. It just feels that way some days. But mm-hmm. for anybody who feels very uh, just disillusioned 
or you don't know what to do next, or you don't know how to talk to your family members or your friends anymore, things like that. I think ultimately it's always good to take a step back and go, this isn't everything. This isn't forever. Like watch and be aware of what's going on right now, but also be aware that the things that are worth it about the church that are going to keep enduring no matter what we do, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like those don't go away. Yeah. You know, so um, the church is not falling apart. Uh, That's not what's happening. Like Mm. the people who are in the body of Christ, you know, are, are uh, perhaps becoming more aware of their loves. (laughs) Yeah. It could be that it's being refined and pruned, but, um, you know, we have faith that God's, uh, church will continue. And as Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So let that be the case. Pray for the church. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, ask yourself what's forming you right now in life. I think that's probably the lesson for all of us to take. So, Megan, yes. we're doing a book study. I hope that our leaders, or our readers, sorry, have uh, gotten a well, copy. Well, Phil, readers are leaders. <laughs> leaders are readers. Leaders are readers. <laughs> <laughs> so, congratulations, listener. You're a leader. Um, we're doing a book study on Dan Kimball's book, How Not to Read the Bible, Making Sense of the Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and Other Crazy-Sounding Parts of Scripture. So I will say the title promises a lot, mm-hmm. doesn't it? We're going to make sense of all that stuff. Yep. Um, and so all of it, every single thing, <laughs> actually, it brings up a good point that... Um, let's just have proper expectations walking into this. Like we're, <laughs> we're trying to tackle a, a, a conversation that, you know, forests have been leveled trying to properly answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are going to do our best in these next few episodes of the podcast, but uh, we will certainly not settle every debate. And I hope though, that we can help people understand what it means to have a, I don't know, a charitable, but also uh, informed approach to scripture mm-hmm. because there's a lot of the opposite going on. That's for sure. Yeah. And just chill out because it's always been going on and the church prevails. Yeah. <laughs> like study of church history for five minutes and mm-hmm. you'll realize people have been drastically misunderstanding Yeah, what to do. Both inside and outside the church. Yeah. So, so. Um, it's not like it's new and these are good questions. So. Yeah. Okay. Let's dig in, shall we? Yes. Um, so section one, we're just going to take each section at a time, I think. Mm-hmm. So like we're covering part one today. Right. Which is three sections, correct? Okay. Part one. Yeah. Or three, is it three chapters? I think it's three chapters. Oh, I'm saying sections. I mean, it's part one, three chapters. Yes. So we're going to do part and one. And a prelude. Which is called, <laughs> never read a Bible verse or you will have to believe in magical unicorns. You got to hand it to him. He does pretty good on his um, section titles and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he spends a lot of time kind of laying out the problem. And he talks about somebody that he knew, you know, people that he's known who have kind of lost their faith as they actually started reading the Bible and seeing all the crazy stuff uh, that's in there. You know, commands to stone people, Mm -hmm. uh, genocide, weird stuff about unicorns. What's that? We're going to get to it. Don't worry. Um and so people read that like, what? I thought this was just about like loving each other and, uh-huh. you know, stuff Probably like particularly hard for people who grew up in the church. So there's a lot of things they take for granted mm-hmm. and they just hadn't thought about. 
Like I know for me, I did not grow up reading scripture. I grew up Catholic. I was at church all the time, but it was just a different kind of engagement with church. So I didn't grow up like reading the Bible and I wasn't particularly familiar with the Bible. So when I became a very passionate follower of Jesus, that coincided with when I started to actually read the Bible. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have this like big identity crisis. Like I'd always kind of been like a, an adult reading the Bible in a context where I was exploring like what these things are and the greater right. themes. And so I didn't like grow up like for instance, if this is just, you know, an introduction into how my <laughs> cynical brain works. Like for instance, you're in a church nursery and it's Noah's Ark themed and mm-hmm. there's like all this water and like the big boat and whatever. My first thought is always like gross, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like this yeah. is just how I think. But if you grew up just kind of hearing parts of that story, not really taking to heart, like what all was going on because you weren't ready for it. Yeah. It can be really difficult to really start processing those things. Yeah. So, yeah, because you're like, wait a second, this is not just a cozy little nursery tale, is it? Yeah. This is God like wiping out <laughs> almost all of humanity. Um, but yeah. you know that that said though, I'm personally like I'm kind of all right with that kind of stuff in the church, like you know, David and Goliath in Sunday school, um, Noah's Ark, you know, stuff like that. Like we have to teach our children the stories. These these are stories of God's faithfulness, and we don't necessarily you know, say, yeah. And then he severed off Goliath's head with a big sword. Mm -hmm. You know, of course you don't say that to a kid. The weirdness comes when people separate Bible lessons, particularly to children as children, because like I said, like you're not ready for, Mm -hmm. like you need to just have basics. You're not ready for that. But if it's divorced from like your regular life and you aren't like growing up, picking up the habits of just like integrating scripture into your regular life. And it's kind of like, you just learn these like episodic moments from the Bible, Mm -hmm. but you don't get to like what we're talking about today, which is that they need to be like sewn into a whole like ecosystem of how you relate with God. And if they're kind of separate like that, you just don't know that you're not applying like the greater context. And then one day you see it out of context, just kind of all together Mm -hmm. and it freaks you out. Yeah. I mean, imagine if a four year old asks you where babies come from. Yeah. that answer's going to be different than when your 15-year-old, want, you know, <laughs> needs to talk to you about Like, I something. think um, on the Bible Project podcast, ooh. <laughs> see how many of those we can do. <laughs> they were talking about this a few weeks ago. Like, a reader, or a reader, a listener had written in a question about, like, how do you present scripture to your small children so that it doesn't, like, freak them out? Mm one day or something like that. Like, what do you, how do you like decide like how much to tell them or Mm -hmm. whatever? And I mean, they found it to be like a question that's full of questions too, but they basically, you know, they're saying what we're saying, just you have to know your child and Mm -hmm. like right now, what do they need? And you want to introduce them to something, but you don't need to overkill it. Yep. And it's a dynamic question that's constantly developing Mm -hmm. as they get older and, and that sort of thing and questions arise in life. But anyway, let's let's talk about the book a little bit. He he has all sorts of images throughout the book of like memes, um, and some of them are really <laughs> They're funny. They're excellent for uh, an audible, yeah medium. It, it's really funny. Like he's got a picture <laughs> of a unicorn, Isaiah thirty four seven, and the unicorns shall come down with them, and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat with fatness. Yes. <laughs> 
know your Bible, it says. <laughs> and so these are, these are memes made by skeptics to kind of demonstrate to all the world just how silly those Christians are. They must be stupid if they don't read their actual Bibles. Um, here's another one. God says it's okay to buy slaves. Quote, you may purchase male and female slaves. Leviticus 25, 44. Yeah. And then it says 90% of so-called religious people don't read their Bibles, so they have no idea what's in their holy book. Yeah, and, I and say, that feels like a sick burn if you don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> another one, there's a football player. Professional football player is a picture of a football player praying. Leviticus 11.8, which I think says something about not touching the carcass of a dead pig. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Of course. There's the, the unicorns are mentioned nine times in the Bible. Cats are never mentioned. That's all you need to know. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's something like you just totally dunked on 2,000 years of the greatest intellectual tradition, you know, <laughs> the wor- world's ever seen. No. And so these are the kind of things that people encounter a lot. And, and it does take Christians, okay, a little, little more seriously, like 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. All right. So here we are, Megan, and mm-hmm. you're talking. Yeah. On this podcast made by a church and you're a woman. What gives, right? Don't we know our Bible? Mm-hmm. Have we not read that? I mean, I've certainly heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's come across your radar. So we want to talk about in this series of podcasts what to do with all that stuff. We're not going to cover all of those topics that we just mentioned today. In fact, Dan Kimball doesn't even. He spends mm-hmm. a lot of time in these first few chapters just setting up the problem. Today is an overview because y'all are still getting over your like sugar coma and not getting enough sleep and now it's like a polar vortex outside and you're all hibernating Mm -hmm. and we're just giving a nice gentle warm bath of an introduction did that get weird (laughs) dipping our toe in let's go with dipping toes um so the first chapter is called never read a bible or first part sorry is called never read a bible verse Mm -hmm. and his point is that context is everything when he says never read a bible verse he means make sure you read it in its context Mm -hmm. don't just you know yank it out of its context plaster it on a dinner plate you know put it on your in you know on your wall or something like that and think that you now understand all that's going on because that same kind of use of scripture gets is what causes you know as inspiring as one verse out of context might be another one is equally disturbing Mm mm-hmm and so we need to learn to place scripture in context when we read it and apply it. Um, so let's start. He, he really only addresses one problem mm-hmm. in this first section, and that's kind of the unicorn one where he actually tells us what's going on. Why does the Bible have unicorns in it? Um, and so let's just mention that quick. It's because um, it actually brings up a good point. Uh, essentially the the translators of the King James Version in the 1600s, mm-hmm. they were working from what they had as far as Greek and Hebrew uh, manuscripts are mm-hmm. concerned. And there's a Hebrew word that is a little difficult to translate, especially back then. They didn't know as much about the ancient language as we do now. And the word um, more or less a f- refers to an animal with a prominent horn. And when they weren't sure what how to translate it, they turned to the ancient Greek translations of the Hebrew, which um, use the word monokeros. Mono means one, keros means horn. And um, so they went really literal, unicorn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, they were trying to just be faithful to the text. 
Which brings up the point. <laughs> a lot of people are like, hey, I need the most literal translation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, the most literal translation might get you the word unicorn. Mm-hmm. And leave you utterly confused yeah. as to like all meaning for you. <laughs> the most literal translation is not always the best translation because um, sometimes you want somebody to kind of take the the thought and make it and, and, and place it in a in, or say it in a way that makes sense to us mm-hmm. today. Which is like when people are talking about versions of the Bible, there's thought for thought versions. Mm-hmm. And then there's versions that try to just like word for word give you what it says. Right. Like the NIV is a thought for thought. Yeah, more, more. It, it might be kind of in the middle on the spectrum, but mm-hmm. the NLT would be more of a thought for thought. Yeah. The message is like off the charts thought for thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the NASB and uh, the ESV uh, and stuff like that would be closer to the word for word translation. And also have way cooler Bibles. Yeah, I mean, Crossway it's <laughs> is crushing it in the Bible public publication department yeah it is clear that people who are faithful to the esv version buy a lot of bibles yeah because they get all the cool bibles they we look have like four so kinds pretty. i know <laughs> if you're like a i kind of like the ceb the common english bible you can't find those anywhere no the, i do have a john wesley ceb vi- bible but is it pretty in my office it is actually kind of pretty as a linen cover it's nice. I mean, like, it's not functional, though. Like, it's a hardcover book. I'm not going to carry it anywhere. Like, mm-hmm. it just sits on my shelf. I got it for 10 bucks. Mm. But it's actually pretty <laughs> nice. I got it because I'm a pastor. I don't remember why, but it was like I got, like, a coupon. But nonetheless, those who favor the more complementarian uh, Calvinistic translations of Scripture have the prettier Bibles. Mm-hmm. Way and, prettier, and way cooler. Are, you get like illuminated Bibles. You get Bibles with like lots of space to take notes um, that have like really like pretty mm-hmm. illustrations in them. And you get like really cool looking like, whoa, any dude would want to carry that Bible. Yeah. Kind of Bibles. Yeah. They just like but look thick and unfortunately, have like gold foil. Gold foil is, I mean, that just gets it right there. It is dope. But unfortunately, Junia is not an apostle in Romans sixteen seven, in the ESV. No, she's well known to them though, but not among them. Anyway, yeah, um, but like for real, those Bibles are amazing. You like, you know, it, like I've always read the NIV. It was like forever the nineteen eighty four version, the twenty eleven version. It's just all I've ever read, like every day, and so I really can't get away from it. It's just like I have lots of other Bibles that I will look at, but it's not what I read every day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you want to like get a new NIV Bible, it's like, do you want brown or black? <laughs> <laughs> it's a real struggle, everybody. Anyway, let's let's um, <laughs> let's talk about the book again, shall we? Yeah. So the point there, it's an interesting point that literal translations aren't necessarily best translations. Maybe it is, right? Sometimes. I mean, it just, sometimes. It just depends. It all just depends. Mm-hmm. If you had something that's only thought for thought, like you're saying, like the message would be like, let's take a thought and make it really poetic and not at mm-hmm. all exactly word for word the way that it's presented. It's more like ideas, like right. beautifully presented to us in our language today. So there's that. And then there's like, like really like trying to be really literal word for word, you know, options too. But if you mix them together, you get something that might actually communicate something closer to what 
mm-hmm. it's intended to mean. Something in between might <laughs> might might be a good option. But it's good to think about like when they're talking about um, never read just a Bible verse. Read at least a paragraph. You know, like make sure that you're not just taking something out of context and putting it on a mug. Understand, you know, like a good example would be like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Right. You know, it's for like, I know the plans for, that I yeah. have for you. And plans to. And it's on like every like graduation, yeah, you know, card. (laughs) Yeah, he's talking to Israel in exile in a hard place for a long time too. So it's not just like oh, the places you'll go, right? You know. So anyway, it's it's an important (laughs) lesson to understand. Like, you know, yeah, don't rip them out of context. Although I I also, there's always a balance in all this stuff because as Christians, we also it's okay to have a verse that encourages you and stuff like that. Um, you just want to know what's going on in the verse. Mm-hmm. For example, my favorite verse is First Corinthians one eighteen. It says, "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to to those who are being saved." And it's literally I have it plastered on my wall in my office. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand what that verse is talking about. It's talking about the fact that like God uses the weak to shame the strong and stuff like that mm-hmm. you know the point of yeah. it like the, the message of the cross yeah. is foolishness to those who are perishing if you don't understand like the cross sounds insane right that god would die on a cross sounds just absolutely backwards but if you understand what god is doing in that then it's the power of god right mm-hmm. so i mean a good way to look at this before we move on from this though is like if if you're trying to figure out like what this is about like the importance of looking at the context of a verse like you don't have to understand everything about it just understand its position in scripture. Like you don't have to understand everything to be able to feel like you understand something mm-hmm. like, right. and, and you're probably not wrong. It's just, there could be much more. It's kind of like, if you imagine like a, like a book that's like really richly illustrated and it's really thick and looks pretty cool, except that all of the illustrations look kind of confusing or creepy or weird. Mm-hmm. Like you've got like a head and then like one foot and no body on something. And then like there's like a bird that only has like a wing and a beak. And you're like, what in the world is going on? Like they look cool, but also you're like, there is something unsettling about this. It does not make right. sense. And then one day, maybe 15 years later, you realize that it's actually like a really awesome pop-up book. Hmm. And you've been just like leafing through it all this time <laughs> yeah. and trying to get like part of part of what it has to offer. And one day you realize that on every page there are just like hundreds of places you can like pull a lever or pull something up or open something up and realize, mm. oh, yeah. like I thought this was just like a headless bird on top of an apple. But it turns out if you flip this thing, there's a bunch of cool stuff inside mm-hmm. and then it all makes a lot more sense. <laughs> That's often what happens when you understand something in its context. Yes. So um, I'm going to sprinkle a few Bible reading tips of my own throughout these podcasts. I'm going to give you one right now. Tip number one kind of kind of goes along with what we were just talking about. To understand the significance of something in the Bible, we must understand what its significance would have been to the people writing it. To understand the significance of something in the Bible, we must understand what its significance would have been to the people writing it. Or experiencing it mm-hmm. right you gotta understand it through their eyes mm-hmm. um, because the bible was written for you but not, but to, not you. to you that's in fact what john walton says in the <laughs> header of chapter two he says we believe the bible was written for us 
that it's for everyone of all times and places because it's God word, God's word, but it wasn't written to us. It wasn't written in our language. It wasn't written with our culture in mind or our culture in view. Mm-hmm. And in case you don't know, the Bible is not one book. It's a whole bunch of books and it's written over 1500 years by all sorts of people in three different languages. Um, so just think about how long 1500 years is. Mm-hmm. Like go back to the year 500. That's a different time and place than it is right now, 1500 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so similar to the Bible takes, you know, it spans a whole lot of time, a whole lot of people. And um, we got to accommodate that. And the more that you try to start, and this is where I think the reason that Dan Kimball takes so much time in the first part of his book is to just help people get acclimated to like the waters of what's coming up next. But it's like what we were just talking about, about like which version of the Bible do you tend to read every day or, you know, those types of things. If you actually start to research why there are different versions of the Bible, it can really freak you out because you start to see the fingerprints of people Mm -hmm. on something that you have always perhaps viewed accurately that it is the inspired word of God, but like perhaps like that simple story, once it starts to get fleshed out, you know, over the course of millennia, it can start to freak you out wondering like all the, like you just said earlier about if you get the ESV, Junian's not an apostle, you Mm -hmm. know, those types of things. (laughs) And so, um, the, the first time you start to realize that the Bible is a collection of books that have been collected, culled, fought about, prayed about, moved around, shuffled, edited, all these things for just like thousands of years, these things have been happening. As you start to learn that, it can freak you out, but it's actually really beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that, that God doesn't do things in the world apart from people. Yep. So it makes perfect, beautiful sense. I like to think, go ahead. That scripture is, it's impossible for scripture to be what it is without millions of people touching it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like to think about how God became incarnate. Mm -hmm. God became a man. Um, Well, also in a sense, anything God does in the world must become incarnated. Mm -hmm. It must take on flesh. God works through people. And in a sense, the Bible is, um, God's word. You know, there's a, there's a sense in which the Bible went through that incarnational process. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's been, um, it's been handled (laughs) right by people. It's the result of people. It's the work of people. And so, uh, God does not separate his action in the world from the, uh, you know, the weak and sinful flesh of human beings. Mm -hmm. So not only did Jesus become incarnate, but God's work in the world is incarnational. He he does it through people. Mm -hmm. And um, that brings up, you know, a a question um, that, I don't know, this is kind of in my mind, the big question of this whole thing of, you know, when you look at the Bible and you see all the weird things, the question that arises is this, if the Bible is somehow inspired by God, does that require God to have set the ethical bar at 100% immediately? In other words, um, is there any room for God to bring humanity to a place over time? Or should he have simply gone to Abraham or to Adam or, or to Moses or whoever, you know what I mean? Say, Hey, 
this is the way everybody ought to behave for all time, period. And there's no moral development that happens beyond that. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like we often want to apply our uh, our modern ethical presuppositions to the Bible. And they had a whole different set of ethical presuppositions. Mm-hmm. In some ways, we would, you know, theirs were, I don't know, you know more primitive than ours. Mm-hmm. I would also want to say, though, in some ways, ours are more primitive than theirs. I'm not sure yeah. that we've developed uh, in some ways. Um, and so personally, um, I don't think it makes sense to expect God to have just come down, dropped the Bible out of heaven and said, here's the way it is. This is static. This is not moving. Like there's no development beyond what I'm saying in these laws, because that assumes that morals and ethics are these abstract, perfect ideals that can somehow exist outside of lived concrete existence. And that's just not how it works. Like, Mm -hmm. um, our moral selves and lives are always realized within the contours of our lives and history and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the Bible is essentially the story of God working in a people over the rough and ready and I don't know, crazy contours of history over a long time, revealing himself in all sorts of ways. Mm -hmm. We, we would say that the, the fullness of that revelation happens in Jesus. And so when you're reading the old Testament, there's always going to be a sense in which like the fullness of God's revelation has not happened yet. Mm-hmm. Like you can feel it when you're reading something and it, it's true. Honestly, most of the Bible, when I read it still, it will make me feel unsettled, but also remarkably secure. <laughs> like it, 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 it is so miraculous to be able to understand pieces of what God's people have been through thousands of years ago and also understand the millions of hands that have touched scripture to get it to the point that it is today that you're seeing it and engaging with it and to feel so deeply connected to this much, much larger picture. And a lot of it is so bloody and awful, Mm -hmm. you know, and to think how brilliant and beautiful this is, you know, that, that absolutely nothing good in what God gives us gets corrupted like he cannot get corrupted by our working out what it is to be in communion with him <laughs> and and that's cool yeah so we're not going to try to sweep the nasty parts of the bible under the rug but we do want to try to help people understand what's going on there a lot of times like we would just what we just saw with the unicorns it's just a it's just a translation thing like if you understand the language going on there um that helps a lot um, sometimes, uh, uh, the Bible isn't condoning whatever we're, whatever we're talking about. Like mm-hmm. just because David did X or Y or Abraham did X or Y or Saul had mm-hmm. did this or, uh, Solomon had this many wives. Like that doesn't, that doesn't mean that the Bible thinks that was a good thing. That's another thing. And that, that deals with a whole lot of mm-hmm. issues in the Bible. However, it is true. There's times where God in the Bible says, you know, kill everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's really, really difficult. And Christians should not, we shouldn't be happy about that. That should cause you to wrestle a little mm-hmm. bit. And if, if it doesn't, I worry, you know. Um, but he, in, in one of the chapters, he, he lays out the, like the, you see this a lot now, like the Bible in six acts or scenes. I think that N.T. Wright might have been the first one or one of the first to kind of lay it out like that. But now it seems like a lot of people do that. Um, it's helpful because... <laughs> There's a, there's I remember a, reading the book and thinking you were going to say that when we got to that part. 
What? It's like say a what? deeply truncated version of what N.T. Wright does when he talks about the movements of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Never we mind. do it in our own discipleship pathway. Like yeah. We do the same thing. <clears throat> um, oh, wait. I just I just cleared my throat into the microphone. I'm sorry. <laughs> you are forgiven. <laughs> and it's helpful to know that there's this development happening just kind of like in a play, right? Like the plot is developing. Now, that does not satisfy the fact of genocide, right? Mm-hmm. Commanded by God. And anyone thinks that that just kind of can wave it away, that, that doesn't help. But we will talk about the violence in the scriptures uh, more in a future podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of these things that we're saying from, you know, hey, translation issues and um, context issues and also just the story of the Bible as a whole, you know, things of all these things add up to help us be able to address some of the big questions that we all have. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I mean, in the moments of like uh, the Old Testament, for example, when you're reading about like, uh, you know, what happens with Tamar, all these types of things, they're awful stories. And also like they just scream out for Jesus mm-hmm. to get here. You know, like there's not a point in the Bible where you can read something difficult and not agree with the people experiencing it. Right. Like that groaning for the Messiah to come. And so at any moment in the Bible, when something just seems remarkably painful, awful, we can approach it by saying God is wise. He allowed it and just leave it there. That, mm-hmm. that is a way to do it. But if you find yourself overwhelmed with grief about something or just like completely confused, that is a feeling of a deeper awareness of the depth of need we have for Jesus. Mm-hmm. So anything difficult in the Bible can really alert you to the desperation we all actually have all the time yeah. for Jesus. And, um, you know, like we can't, Another thing on all of this, we, um, we as human beings view the world as though we are the center of it and everything else is happening outside of us and we cannot help but view what is happening outside of us and judge it with the only tools that we have available to us to try mm-hmm. to make sense of it. And a lot of what it takes when you really want to dive into understanding scripture is to take the same path that we all take um, to live in the shape of Jesus. So you can, you know, like those, all those memes from the book, all Mm -hmm. the memes that atheist, you know, forums post and stuff like that about all this stuff. It's true. Like you, it, it almost, first of all, to say, if you really read your Bible, you wouldn't be a Christian anymore. You know, they, they infer that like you wouldn't possibly have faith if you actually read this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like a version of like, if he really knew me, he would be into me, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like it just takes more information and then everything would be fixed. Right. But that's not true because what we're doing is we are, we are entering into a supernatural like entirely other system that the world at this point knows nothing of, you know, like the, like we are as Christians entering into something that makes no sense to anybody else trying to reason things out. And so as you do that, you can kind of accept that there are going to be all these mysteries, but you know that the journey that you're on is to do what, the Christian faith is, which is to submit yourself to God, 
to lay down your perception of what is happening or judging what is happening or what should be done about it or what is good or what is bad and laying all of that down in humility and following God instead. And so the idea that when you approach scripture, like it really is just a humble journey of laying down (laughs) your ideas, reactions, responses, judgments about what is happening and um, leaving them there for God to slowly over time, you know, deepen your understanding, Mm -hmm. pull out more tabs in the (laughs) pop-up book, like Mm -hmm. help you understand things. But you do have to completely surrender your impulse to have a judgment about everything, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you make a, you bring up a good topic. Um, and ultimately I would say, I'm not sure that somebody's going to make that leap unless they want to. Right. Um, like I could give all of the airtight explanations for things in the Bible and I'm not sure that it would do much good to somebody who's not willing to patiently wait on God, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And, and I, I guess that would be a good caution for anybody listening, even if you're a Christian, like, um, you know, there is always, we're, we're never going to be able to get away from that element of like, look, every question we face about ultimate existence is underdetermined. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're a Christian or an atheist, like we all have to just at some point, we well kind of, um, take that leap of faith, that Kierkegaardian leap of faith. Um, and you live life forward and then you get to the end of it and you're like, well, was the way I lived true or not? Mm -hmm. And I have enough evidence to push me in the direction of the scriptures. Right. Um, so that's, yeah, that's where I'm going. But I do, the more I do it and the more I read the scriptures and the more that I live life with Jesus, the more confident I become that there is truth here. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just that element of it that is beyond human reason that is the living, active spirit of God alive, not only in your Bible, but in a particular way in your Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's not the only way. You know, like if you are not partnered with the spirit of God and moving with the ebbs and flows of of where God is speaking and moving in your life today than simply getting more information. For example, if you read the chapter that has the explanation about the term unicorn, that actually falls a little bit flat. You're like, oh, okay. You know, like it doesn't really fix anything for anybody. Yeah, I mean, there's still <laughs> genocide, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like so, you can have an answer for something, but it doesn't so Like, Mm -hmm. that's cool. But like apart from the spirit of God transforming you and taking what is happening and like in an alchemical way, turning it into something, transforming it into something like pure and good and beautiful that can't you can't possibly make for yourself. Like uh, without that, it's just a bunch of. Yeah. You know, facts. Yeah. I mean, the Bible, James says that even the demons believe like they probably got pretty good doctrine, Mm -hmm. but. And I mean, that's probably like for people who will come to us as pastors, people maybe that you have in your life that come to you like this and they say, this thing that you're doing with your life, show me in the Bible where it says that. Mm -hmm. That is exactly where this like really the rubber meets the road. But it's not about just finding something in the Bible that proves that what you are doing is correct. Mm -hmm. It's so much more complex than that. Let's talk. I want to give another Bible reading tip. All right. I've given one, which was to understand the significance of something in the Bible. We must understand its significance would have been to the people writing it. 
number tip number two would be you need to know which direction the text is moving. Know which direction the text is moving. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, so you need to understand that the Bible, like God, I, I think that God is taking his people somewhere in terms of revealing his will and their understanding of who he is and stuff like that. So the Old Testament, you've got all sorts of references to slavery. Um, slavery was very uh, acceptable at the time in the world. You know, slavery was simply how things got done in the world. I heard N.T. Wright once compare slavery in the ancient world to electricity today. Like mm-hmm. it's just how stuff got done. That doesn't make it a good thing, uh, but it was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. But then you've got um, the Bible comes along. And sure enough, there's slavery in the Old Testament. It's there. It's assumed to be the case oftentimes. But look what it does. It says things like, um, oh, hey, one day a week, everybody gets a day off. Nobody is to work. Even the animals are supposed to get a day off one day a week in the Old Testament. By the way, Sabbath uh, has no parallel in any other ancient culture. Mm-hmm. Like nobody else said anything like Sabbath. And then you've got, oh, and um, every 50 years, slaves go free. Mm-hmm. Everybody goes free. Nobody else was doing that in the ancient world. Okay. So what direction is the text moving? Is it is it moving in a countercultural kind of way? And often the things that we read in the Bible that would... We would look at it and be like, no, that's barbaric. Slavery is barbaric. Agreed. But let's see which direction it's moving. And it was cutting against the grain of its culture. It was moving against its culture at the time. So it's moving in a direction in terms of its its broader culture, but also there's a movement that happens across scripture. So that not only is there these kind of liberating passages concerning slavery in the Old Testament, but man, then you get to new, the New Testament and you see it, this this trajectory, this unfolding that happens around the issue of slavery even further, where Paul, writing to Philemon about a runaway slave, says, you know, uh, receive him as though you were receiving me. He says, he is my very heart. Accept him as though he were your brother. Or he actually says he is your brother. That's not language people used for their slaves in the Roman world. And so you see this development across scripture to an even more liberating uh, kind of understanding of something that we now consider barbaric. But the reason we consider it barbaric is because of the development that happened in the scripture. You know, mm-hmm. um, everybody assumed slavery to be okay back then. We don't now. Why? Well, probably a large part of it is because Paul came along and called a slave his brother. You know, that's radical. So what direction is it moving? That's always the one. You want to apply that same question to, um, you know, how the Bible speaks about women. You'll look back and you'll see stuff and be like, that's sounds barbaric. No, let's look at the Bible as a whole and ask ourselves what direction is it moving in terms of women in ministry and leadership and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And we're going to find some pretty countercultural things there too. And even like what we talked about earlier about like the story of Noah and the flood. So it's very disturbing to imagine everyone but this small remnant of people dying in this horrible flood. And it's also remarkable to see that God preserved humanity was willfully decided on continuing that plan to partner with humanity Mm -hmm. (laughs) to do Mm -hmm. what he wants to do. He does not have to do that, but it's his nature to do it. And um, so, you know, like even in these like things that are just, it's impossible for us to fully understand. And it is disturbing 
to say God is so completely bent on partnering with people that this is the length that he would go to to make sure that continues. Can I talk about the flood for a second? Yes. Um, Let's talk about what direction that story is moving for a moment. Um, So the ancient world had had other flood narrative accounts. You can make of that what you want. Does it somehow cheapen the originality of scripture? Native Americans do too. Yeah, there's there's flood accounts. Yeah. There's ubiquitous in cultures around the world, I think. Um, but ancient Babylonians had flood narratives and myths. Um, the most significant one being the Epic of Gilgamesh, and a lot of it reads kind of like the the flood narrative with Noah in Genesis. And but there's some really huge differences that once again demonstrate to us what direction is this text moving. For example, in Gilgamesh, you know, a god is mad at humanity. They're annoyed by humans. They are too noisy, and so they want to kill them all. And one of them survives, and that actually upsets the gods. And this one particular god spends the rest of the story trying to kill the guy that's still that's still alive. You know, mm-hmm. um, whereas the Genesis flood story, um, God it broke God's heart. And um, God did not want to necessarily kill all humans. And so he purposefully rescued one family in order to keep humans alive. And so if you're in a culture where the predominant narrative is that the gods want to kill everybody, but then, you know, the Genesis narrative comes along and says, no, Yahweh, he wants to preserve humanity and here's how he did it. That's moving a different direction, right? It still doesn't satisfy our ethical sensibilities today because God still like flooded the earth. Um, but if you're willing to enter into the worldview of the people at the time, you'll understand that it's cutting a completely different direction. There's also some stuff about like, um, there's some stuff about the Hebrew that just kind of demonstrates how inhumane the time was, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> back then. But yeah, the, the big point I'm trying to make, and you can say the same for the creation account. There's other creation accounts. Um, usually, you know, in the ancient Babylonian creation accounts, uh, humans were slaves to the gods that were created just in order to serve them. Um, whereas then God, you know, Yahweh, the God of Israel, uh, creates humans and a lot of, a lot of times similar language, similar things in the, in the texts, but totally different anthropologies, totally Mm -hmm. different theologies. Mm -hmm. It's saying something totally different about humans and their worth, something totally different about God and his stance towards humanity or in Babylonian instances, the gods. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the creation account, God doesn't create humans as slaves. He creates them as royalty, as vice regents to kind of reign over creation on his behalf. Like Mm -hmm. that's as far from a slave as you can possibly get. And so what direction is the text moving? And a lot of times, you know, okay, let's talk about violence. Well, there's some nasty violence stuff in the Old Testament, but there's also moments where God like limits the amount of weapons Israel can have. Mm Mm-hmm. He's, he's basically saying, look, violence is not going to be your way. Yeah, like scripture rarely demonstrates only going all the way in one direction. Like it, it's something that seems off to us. It, it will seem that way. And over time, perhaps we gain understanding. But it, it rarely says only things that go this direction, mm-hmm. you know, over here. It'll surprise you with something where you're like, oh, this seems to completely contradict, which is another thing that people will say about scripture is that here it says this was good. And over here it says that that is bad. Or, you know. Yeah. And, and we would say, no, there's a development happening. Mm-hmm. And the Bible even admits that. It says that Jesus is the, is the you know, the fullest revelation. Mm-hmm. He's the fullness of the deity is pleased to dwell in Jesus, it says. Mm-hmm. He's the image of the invisible God. Yeah. So Jesus is the fullest revelation of who God is 
and what his heart is. So there's a development that happens. Can I just mention really quick, like there's <laughs> like what you were saying about like Gilgamesh and all of those like creation myths. Um, like there's an Ojibwe story and there are many um, indigenous stories that are a flood narrative. You mm-hmm. know, there's a flood myth. Um, there's lots of different versions of them, but like predominantly there'll be a myth about like the creator being disgusted with the people of the earth. Mm-hmm. And so creator causes this flood that will purify the earth. But there will be in the story like one man who's like defies what creator is doing and builds a raft for himself and his family and animals mm-hmm. um, like in defiance of what creator is doing. And then he ends up surviving on his own and then using what he has like saved up out of this flood in order to create a new world himself Mm. for example and so surviving um, in spite of yes the god and so these stories they have like i remember just being fascinated by this when i was learning these in college it was just like time after time after time these creation myths that involve like everything was being destroyed but a person figured out how to get around it Mm. And preserve themselves their way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not trying to dig on any of these things. But it's like that there's that thing in people where we want to figure out how to escape divine intervention, mm-hmm. you know, that we judge to be not good. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, how do we save ourselves from judgment, from, you know, calamity? How do we, how do we like build that security? And so all of that just like screams of Jesus. And so when you kind of, it's not just about understanding more about scripture or more about the context that it was originally like up, brought up out of or how it's arrived at us today, but also just understanding the world. I mean, it's just, you could never stop learning. Yeah. So, so the stories theologically say something so different. Um, in one, you have gods who are against humans, gods who are annoyed by humans, and gods who want them all dead. Mm-hmm. In another, you have a god who creates humans, who is grieved by the fact that humans are trying to, you know, destroy themselves mm-hmm. and, you know, selects one family in order to preserve the line. And not because they're perfect. Right. But, <laughs> but because he loves them and yeah. because God wants a relationship with them. Right. And so the motives and the, the theology behind it is, is quite different, even though, yes, I understand um, today we still look at floods and we think, well, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we can, if we can understand it, like we said, the significance of something, we must understand what its significance would have been to the people writing it. Mm-hmm. When we can do that, that helps us understand it. Cause look, to, to, to critique a Christian understanding of the Bible, you must critique a Christian understanding of the Bible. Like you can't apply your standards to it. You should at least understand what Christians understand it to be. Mm -hmm. And very few Christians would say um, that God just dropped the perfect ethic out of the sky, you know, 2,500 years ago or something like that. Most Christians would say that there's a development that happens and kind of culminates in Jesus and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So whereas very few Christians would argue that, it seems to me that many skeptics think that that's how the Bible should work. But that's Mm -hmm. not how Christians think the Bible works. If we approach the Bible trying to reason it out, as humans reason things, we will always slam into a wall. <laughs> like you can either go one of two ways with it. You can either just become completely 
disgusted, disillusioned with the text, or you can just blindly follow what you think it's telling you to do out of a sense of like selfish preservation. But mm-hmm. neither of those things is interacting with, you know, yeah, God's word as it's meant to be embodied. And I like, I don't think we said this yet, but the Bible project, oh, The Bible Project, their mission statement is like we we believe that the Bible is we want to help people experience the Bible as now I can't remember something about a unified story. Yeah. Like our mission is to help people experience the Bible as one unified story that leads to Jesus. Okay, You know, and like um, that's really like you were saying before about like. There are scripture passages that seem to say certain things about what women can do in the church. But if we're looking at like a full arc of like what scripture is doing and saying in certain circumstances, you look at how Jesus treated women and what he seemed to think that women could do and things like that. And you say, okay, like you said, it doesn't just shift with Jesus. Now everybody knows exactly how to live. Um, We work it out. And so it's all one unified story. Mm-hmm. that leads people to Jesus. And I love that they say the word help people experience the Bible as one unified story that leads people to Jesus. You know? Mm-hmm. Like that's amazing. Like yeah. you're not just like learning things, you're experiencing it. So. Yeah. Yes, um I'll give one last Bible reading tip today. There'll probably be more in the future. Or at least maybe I'll remind ourselves of these three that I've given today. And that's the third one would be know the difference between high context and low context. This this is something that um, John Walton, he's an Old Testament scholar, and he's referred to in this book. By the way, if if you want to go deeper in these questions, <laughs> some of the challenging Old Testament texts, read John Walton. He's amazing at helping us unpack the context of understanding what's going on, popping up the 3D pop-ups in your book, if you will, mm-hmm. like Megan's analogy. Um, he's got all sorts of books. He's got a book on Genesis 1, Adam and Eve, the flood, the Canaanite. And he has a very humble way of presenting mm-hmm. things. Yeah, the Canaanite conquest, like you know. just all sorts of stuff. So John Walton's amazing. Anyway, he distinguishes between high context and low context. So high context would be stuff that you and me, there's no way we'd have any idea what they're talking about. Low context is stuff that just, you know, a broad swath of humanity can understand and enter into that conversation. So for example, like when you're talking about slavery, mm-hmm. we can kind of understand that it was different then. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. And so <laughs> I'll give you an example of high context. Every morning when I drive my kids to school, our friend Taylor's on the radio and he often gives a traffic report. Okay. And he'll use this language. He'll say West Mixer to downtown's about seven minutes mm-hmm. on a good day. Yeah, when I first moved to Des Moines <laughs> and I heard somebody talk about the West Mixer, I was like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah. It didn't take long to figure out what they were talking about. But at first, I'm like, I don't understand what the West Mixer is. Mm-hmm. You had to like scrabble for like what the context is for what these could be. Mm-hmm. You Th- know, that's high context. Like yeah. only a Des Moines, somebody who's lived in Des Moines for a while, that's natural. It's second language. I say West, West Mixer. West Mixer to East Mixer. I know exactly what you're talking about now. Yeah. But for somebody who doesn't live in Des Moines, they're not going to have any idea what you're talking about when you refer to the West Mix. People who've always been in Des Moines are like, it's the Mixmasters. What are you talking about? Yeah. And <laughs> whereas if I were to say instead, hey, traffic is moving well on the interstate, that's low context language. Mm-hmm. Like everybody understands what we're talking about now. Um, the Bible has a lot of high context language in it. 
And that's why we need Bible scholars, <laughs> you know, to help us. That's why there's often debate about what verses mean is we're trying to decipher high context statements that aren't immediately obvious to us now. Mm-hmm. So 500 years from now, they're going to uncover, you know, they're going to find a recording of Taylor on the radio and, uh, they're going to be like, Ooh, what was this West mixer that he speaks of? And mm-hmm. they're going to have all these debates about why was everyone so obsessed? Were they making smoothies, really big smoothies? Yeah. Was there a giant blender? They're like in the English language mixer. And it was separated from downtown by seven minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we do that with the Bible today. That's like if Paul yeah. were here and he would see some of the ways that we I, like interpret some of the words, he'd be like, that's just as crazy as what I just said about a giant mixer on the east side of Des Moines. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, like I, Paul would be like, I did not think about that, nor did I <laughs> intend for you to think about that. And it was actually all about this, but I didn't have to say it because everybody was living it. You mm-hmm. know, like we can't really know right. all those things, but we can know much more than we do. Yes. So, so. when you have a city like um, Ephesus, which is dominated by, you know, pagan temples that are often... To, you know, or like a, a giant, a big pagan temple to the goddess of, or the goddess was, it wasn't Aphrodite. Maybe it was some female goddess, mm-hmm. you know, and all the priests are priestesses. They're mm-hmm. all women. The religious scene in the city of Ephesus is largely run by women and women couldn't read at the time. And so when women came to know the gospel and became Christians, they may have presumed that they got to get up and preach because that was the way it went in Ephesus. But since they couldn't read, Paul needs to come along and say, look, you should ask your husband at home. You know, don't just interject in the middle of the sermon, not because they're women, but because they can't read. That would be that would be a, an interpretation of a difficult passage in First uh, Timothy that's trying to account for high context. Now, mm-hmm. we'll talk more about that another time. But, in, you know, is it right or wrong? I don't know for sure. But it seems reasonable. But I think you're bringing up a good point that in doing this, you aren't trying to chase down the right answers so you can feel safe. Mm-hmm. You're just interested in knowing as much as you can about the people of Jesus and the Jesus that we follow. Like it's yeah. it's not about trying to chase down knowing for sure that you know exactly what those things mean nearly so much as it is about understanding who God is and who you are and just enjoying learning Mm -hmm. as much as you can because you just want to. I love learning about the Bible. I think it's fun. It would be boring if we just knew it all, Mm -hmm. but there's a, there's an adventure. I'd probably be pretty freaked out if I knew it all. I'd be like, I don't know if I want all (laughs) of that, you know, like, do we want to know it all? (laughs) I I was just reading about the the Dunning Kruger effect and it's this, um, like imagine a graph where you have just like a U. Okay. Like things, Start high and then go down uh-huh. and then go back up again. Uh, that's like people's level of confidence about a particular subject matter. <laughs> when they have very little knowledge, their confidence <laughs> is very high. That's so true. And then as they get more knowledge, their confidence falls. At the bottom, you're kind of in the middle of you know, the amount of knowledge. But at that point, you're like, wow, there's a lot more that I don't know. Uh-huh. And so then as you get more knowledge and you become an expert, then your confidence starts to uh, go up again. That's the other side of the U. Um, so like people who know nothing are very confident and people who know a lot are very confident. 
Uh, but the people in the middle, <laughs> you know, are they know enough to know that they don't know anything. Mm-hmm. But that's the that's actually a dangerous one of the dangers that we see a lot of times, like around vaccines and stuff like that. Everyone's suddenly a vaccine expert. It's the Dunning Kruger effect. Like you actually mm-hmm. don't know anything. You're on the uh, you're on the left side of the U right now. Your confidence is high, but your knowledge is low. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people on the right side of the U who have a lot of knowledge and confidence, who are experts, they have a humility about their knowledge. Like they understand how much there is to know, whereas the people on the left side know how much there is, don't know how much there is to know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I got onto that, but let me just wrap it up like this. Uh, I'm going to give a challenge to both Christians and to skeptics as we close out here. My challenge to Christians is to beware the Dunning Kruger effect. Oh, actually, both 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 groups can know this. There's a lot to know about the Bible and about the ancient cultures and about the about the languages, um, and and that's part of the fun. You know, so be humble um, before the Bible. Try to understand it as best you can. Don't just assume that it's all air, you know, airtight. Whether you're an atheist or a Christian, don't assume it's all airtight. Um, and let's try to let's try to study it according, you know, with I don't know what the word would be. Like I said, to critique a Christian understanding of the Bible, you must critique a Christian understanding of the Bible. Understand how the church has understood the Bible as best you can. Um, because people have thought about this stuff before. And so my challenge to Christians be have humility about this and mm-hmm. let's dig in, let's wrestle with these texts. Let's not just and sweep them under the rug. new under the sun. It's a brilliant adventure to go discover how like people six centuries ago were trying to figure out the same question you're asking right mm-hmm. now. And they may have needed to arrive at a completely different outcome than you do about how to live it out. Yeah. You know, but that's fascinating. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> And then the challenge of skeptics would be, look, I know that there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that sounds crazy, um, but we also need to admit that there's a lot of beauty in it. And a lot of the things that you hold dear, a lot of the the values and the ethical values and stuff like that, um, it comes from there. You know, the fact that you have a high view of human dignity, that we have universal human dignity, that's like our, that you believe in human rights. Um, a lot of this stuff, I believe, can be traced back to the revolution, the moral revolution that began in Christ. Well, even more broadly in the scriptures, um, when God does things like pronounces humans very good or, um, I don't know, dies for them <laughs> and stuff like that. So a moral revolution began in the Bible and um, to just dismiss it, I think, is is uh, not being very honest. Mm-hmm. So there's a challenge for everybody mm-hmm. on both sides. And as you say that, I think the thing that I'm thinking of the most is you know, you hear so often, like, just read your Bible, read tons and tons of the Bible, which is not bad. That is not bad. But you can read a lot of the Bible, understand a lot of the Bible, and never interact with the Holy Spirit in a way that uh, humbly allows the Spirit to do whatever it wants to do to you. Like, Mm -hmm. um, there's a difference between engaging with the Bible and interacting with the Word of God with the spirit of God in, you know, in a loving relationship with Jesus at the center of all of it, you know, the, there is a difference. Yeah. And so it is not enough to just like read, 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 and hope that it transforms you. If you don't interact with scripture in a way that humbly places yourself beneath the authority of the Trinity and, and you're not willing to partner with the Trinity, um, you know, that's not going to do much for you. Read the Bible for transformation. Mm -hmm. So 
Next time, we will do part two. It's called Stranger Things, Shrimp, Slavery, and the Skin of a Dead Pig. We're going to talk about some of the crazy Old Testament laws that you read. And then the week after, we'll get into... Don't touch dead things. We'll get into um, (laughs) the way the Bible talks about women. Yay. So, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Hopefully, this was helpful. Wait. What was your favorite Christmas gift? Well, Natalie and I... We just kind of teamed up and bought a Roomba. Oh, that's right. That's what we did. Yeah. So. You, your family didn't get you anything? My mom got me an Amazon gift card. Hey, thanks, mom. Which is my love language. Mm-hmm. My love language is Amazon gift cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, you can buy like tools and stuff you need and books. Yep. And then <laughs> uh, my mother-in-law, she got me, she always gets me some nice clothes. Uh-huh. New pair of jeans. You usually like show up with like a new dark pair of jeans. Or like a new like sweater hoodie. I'm going to be styling this week in shirt. Stuff no, like that. <laughs> um, You're like, set your expectations low, people. He doesn't mean that. That's I don't know I'm if I'm going to be at church yet because of COVID quarantine. Timing hopefully I'm, works out. I'm awaiting okay. my test to see if it was positive or not. I but don't, don't know if I said worry, that already. Because if Phil can't get there, we'll still have church. Oh, yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. All right. What did you get for Christmas? Uh, well, I haven't gotten all of my Christmas presents yet. Um, long story. I have several of them on the way, I think. But um, That's fun. I would say that of the gifts I know about, my kids gave me some really sweet gifts, but I'm going to just be really honest because I don't think that they listen to this. Like Without a doubt, Ivy Sprague made me a pair of knitted socks. Like she knit me a pair of socks. Did uh, she knit you socks? Are the, no, she, no, I didn't get any socks. Well, she knit me a pair of socks and without a doubt, they are absolutely my favorite Christmas gift this it, year. Are socks your love language? Knitted socks? From they Ivy? are not my love language, but like people thinking about me ahead of time, like she got colors she knew I would like because she pays attention to what I wear and knew like what colors I wear Mm. and she asked one of my daughters what my shoe size was so that they would be there like she didn't just like have a pair of socks that she knitted and didn't know what to do with like Ivy made me socks hey shout out to Ivy yeah Um, (laughs) I got a nice little note from her the other day and um just want to say if you're listening Ivy means a lot appreciate Mm -hmm. it appreciate it so she's one of those people Mm mm-hmm I was just like, wow. And like, there's very few people I wish I was more like, like you. <laughs> and I'm sometimes one of those people, but she's nicer than I am. Definitely. Um, and so I definitely like <laughs> really receive it if somebody else is really thoughtful like that. Yeah. I wish I was more like you. Yeah. Ivy. Thank you. All okay. right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Hopefully there were some nuggets in there <laughs> in that hour that we just talked about things. Hope there's some nuggets that are helpful. You all have no idea how much resistance we encountered trying to get this to you. I hope it was worth it. And it ain't over yet. We still got to get it uploaded. So pray for us. All right. (laughs) Bye-bye.